Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by John Crumpton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. What I want to share this morning, sometimes I think I should use the word briefly, but then I know that I shouldn't lie from the pulpit. So... um, but I'll, I'll try not to take too much time. But I want to share with you about how we to position our hearts and our minds as we're facing so much uncertainty in our nation and around the globe. And you don't have to be a prophet to recognize that there's massive shifting taking place in the world right now. We're living through just the most amazing times and we get a front row seat. You know, we look back at some periods in in history and we, we, we wonder what it was like to live through those tumultuous times, to look to live through when there was massive upheaval between major nations and and political authorities, all these kinds of things, to live through a shift and a change in terms of uh, economic realities. And we wonder, you know, we watch some of the movies, and it gives us a little bit of an insight as they sort of retell some of the stories, and we wonder what how we would face going through similar things. All right? Well, you know what? Don't be so focused on, you know, what's immediately in front of you that you don't take a step back and take a look at the bigger picture and recognize we're living through unprecedented times. And we're living through a major shift in what's happening on the globe. And these are exciting times. Mm Mm-hmm. Charles Dickens wrote a story. He said it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And we're living through these paradoxes. And if you only focus on the negative things, you're going to think the conclusion is we're living through the worst of times. But the Lord wants us to view life through a different set of lenses that we might be children of faith and that we might recognize, actually, these are the best of times. And so, a few weeks ago, a guy called Bird flew in here (laughs) to tell us The harvest is ripe. And a reminder for us was going to be a sign. Load shedding. Every time you bump into some difficulty, something that could otherwise be received as negative, allow the Spirit to prompt you to see differently 
that in actual fact, this is part of getting the harvest ready. And that as we look at what's going on with the eyes of faith, we can see that people are being positioned, they're getting ready to recognize their need of a savior. The harvest is ready. When everyone's comfortable, it's like, oh, I can do it on my own. I don't need God. But we've seen throughout Scripture when there was difficulty and hardship, again and again this phrase, and in their distress, and in their distress, they cried out to the Lord, and He heard their cries. We're stepping into the best of times. Let's ensure we're looking with the right eyes. A chap called Ezekiel had the most crazy supernatural experience. Yeah? We've heard of this, this guy called Philip who had this amazing like journey experience. You remember? Philip in the New Testament. He's like minding his own business. Next thing, He's translated and he's in another town. Yeah? So Ezekiel in chapter 37, he's just you know, minding his own business. Next thing, the spirit picks him up and puts him in a valley. And that valley is filled with dry bones. You've heard of the, the encounter, the valley of dry bones. And he's in there. And um, so... It was full of bones. Verse 2, he led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. In other words, the scriptures are trying to tell us that this was a very difficult situation. It was lifeless, beyond despair. Lots of dead bones, and they were very dry. Not just a little bit dry, very dry. In other words, extremely hopeless. And into this, the Lord asks the question, Son of man, can these bones live? I mean, it's not just bodies lying there like raised from the dead. It's like just bones. It is so disintegrated that with the natural eye, like, this is weird, man. Except he just had a weird experience because the Spirit picked him up and put him in the valley. So it's like weird on top of weird. Clever move, spirit of wisdom hits him. He says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. (laughs) Can a nation be saved in a day? Well, we've got water shedding. We've got load shedding. We've got potholes. We've got some dysfunctional municipal areas. We've got crazy things happening. Some of you live in Mahali City. Where counselors who are getting paid to attend council meetings were just too lazy to go to council meetings. So the speaker said, guys, according to the law, you're in trouble. Just like cautioning them. They then rally around and they form a motion and a vote of no confidence and kick the mayor out for calling them to account for their wrongdoing. So we call what is wrong right and what is right wrong. The Lord warned of such a a generation. 
So we, we face all these, these things that are, are so challenging. We face higher food prices. We, we're not sure what's going to go on with the inflation rate, the interest rate, all these kinds of things. It's getting harder and harder to figure out what's happening to our sports teams. Life is getting tough. And we can look at these things. Can a nation be saved in a day? Can it even be saved at all? This is like Valley of Dry Bones. We're facing elections, all these different things. They warned us many decades ago that the Russians were coming. And apparently they are. It's like, what's going on? Everything's being turned around. And you can, you can get concerned and you get filled with fear, despondency. It's like, well, what's the use? And give up. That's a place of hopelessness. The scriptures tell us here that actually the question of hope was at the center of the issue of the dry bones. So let's drop down to verse 11. He said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. In other words, God's people. God's people, they were the bones. They say, God's people say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. What causes bones to dry up? Hopelessness. Oh, I'm full of the Spirit, you know, outpouring of the Spirit, let it rain down, I'm revived and refreshed. Really? Where's your hope level? Are you dried up or are you rehydrated in the Spirit? How in the Spirit are you and how in the flesh are you? How dry are you? I'm talking about somebody else. I'm not talking about you, okay? Just relax. But they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Cut off from what? Cut off from the covenant. Cut off from the promises of God. God, God said, I will be with you, and he proclaimed all the blessings of favor that would be on his people. And they say, but there's no favor in our lives. We cut off from the favor and the promises of God. We've got no hope. Come on, guys. This is real for so many people living in our streets today. And it's a challenge, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak clearly into our hearts and our minds that we ensure that we are looking at life through the correct lenses. We're looking at life through the lenses of the Spirit. You see, Ezekiel began to see things. He says, Lord, you alone know. So he's open to saying, Lord, you show me what you see. The Lord says, breathe, declare, prophesy, pray, and these things are coming together. 
the dysfunctional things are coming together. The broken things are going to be mended. The lifeless things are coming back to life. Son of man, can Eskim live? Come on, let's get practical. Son of man, will there be enough food? Son of man, will you be able to meet your budget? Son of man, will you find work? Will your kids be okay? Will the education system be okay? Will the police force be trustworthy? Come on, these are questions that people ask. People, you know, other people. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. Come on. He's bringing us up out of the grave. We've just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty. He's come up out of the grave. And because he lives, we too can live. He prophesies to us, guys, I'm bringing you up out of your grave of hopelessness. You were hopeless about this nation. I'm bringing you up out of that dry bone place of hopelessness of being in a grave about the future of this nation. And I'm going to restore hope to you. I will bring you back into the land, my people. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when you open your graves, when I open your graves, bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. He's speaking life to us. He's prophesying, just like he did through Ezekiel, Prophesy that the breath of God would come into that army. And that army came alive. There's an army of believers rising up in this nation. A people who are leaving behind a mentality of victimhood and putting on a mentality that we are victorious. Because he is the victorious one and we are in him, we too will be victorious. So we're walking out of that grave of hopelessness. You ready? Fantastic. Go with me quickly to Zechariah chapter 9. And right at the start of those lockdown restrictions, and there was kind of like a you know, the walls were crowding in mentally, emotionally, as well as you had to stay at home. Verse 9 Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
What was this prophetically pointing to? That's right, Palm Sunday and Jesus entering in to Jerusalem. He's coming to get ready to go to the cross. And it says he's coming, he's the victorious one. The victorious one is about to face the cross. Through the cross, he bought for us victory. Yeah? So sing, rejoice, victory's on the way. Hallelujah. Verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. This is in the context when they're being surrounded by foreign armies. Zechariah is prophesying when everything around them is destroyed. They're under siege. Things are looking hopeless. And he's prophesying in the day of their hopelessness that a day of hope is coming. Mm -hmm. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Who's he? That's right, the Prince of Peace. We were singing about his name this morning. He is the Prince of Peace. He will come proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What's his rule? His rule, his reign, his kingdom is an everlasting eternal kingdom and it's going to cover the whole earth. That's why we're here to stay. We're here to take over. We're here to enforce the victory of the king. We're not looking for an escape clause. Hitting the eject button, get, get me out of here, Scotty. We're not looking for Star Trek moves. We're here to bring about his victorious kingdom to the ends of the earth. Yay, yay, yay. Come on. As for you, verse 11, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. 2020 free is the year of freedom. Freedom from being in prisons, prisons of hopelessness. A waterless pit. Again, a dry place. And he's saying, I'm going to free you from that. And then the next verse is just absolutely beautiful because he turns the analogy on its head. Right? And he says, return to your fortress, your, you prisoners of hope. And even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Oh, we love the restore twice as much. Yeah. Come on. Double portion. Yeah. Bring it on. Restoration, biblically, always is double what you lost. Whatever Job lost, he said, I will restore to you, was double. And the double portion always speaks of the position of honor. The firstborn was the one who had the honor, carried the name. The double portion went to the firstborn. And he's restoring us to the place of honor. Honor before him and honor with people around us. I'm going to restore you. But the key 
to this restoration of whatever was lost, whatever the locusts have eaten, I will restore. The key to this is hope. And he says, because he changes it now, and he says, listen, people were prisoners in a waterless pit. Now, there is a stronghold, a strong place that's fortified to protect you from the attacks of the enemy. Choose to go there. And this particular fortified place is called hope. And you willingly come into this fortified place of hope. When you were in prison, it was a place of hopelessness. And when you were in prison, the enemy had access to you. Access to your mind, your emotions, and caused you to make some really silly decisions. Come on, when people are hopeless, brains go. Wisdom doesn't have a place to land. And they do some really stupid things out of desperation. Enemy has got access to bring additional ruin into your life in a place of hopelessness. Well, I've lost it all, so who cares? And crazy decisions land there. No, no, we're coming out of prison, and now we willingly come into a fortified place as though we were captive to this thing called hope. We willingly become a captive of hope. Okay? This sounds a little strange, but bear, bear with me for a moment. Paul, he also does this turning of things on its head. In this analogy, he says, once you were slaves to sin. Right? You were bound, you were under the dictates of, of the evil one, and you just had to obey sin wickedness you were slaves to sin but you've been set free from slavery to sin that you might sin no more he said but now actually i've become a slave again but a slave to righteousness i'm now under the master's rule and i do whatever he says i am willing i am a bond slave a love slave of the king I was a slave to sin, no more. Now I'm a slave, but to righteousness. It's like, but I'm free, yes. And in my freedom, I choose to serve him. Back to Zechariah. You once were in a prison of hopelessness. You've been set free from the prison of hopelessness. You don't have to be hopeless anymore. You don't have to be. Unfortunately, some people still choose to be. Unfortunately, some believers still choose to be hopeless. It's unfortunate because you don't have to be. Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. He's talking about somebody else. But that somebody else doesn't have to be hopeless. You set free from that waterless pit of hopelessness. 
But now you can choose, just like you can choose to be a bond slave, you can choose to be held captive by hope. You just can't help yourself. You are so impacted, influenced, and under the rule, the domain of hope that everywhere you turn and you look, you look through the lens of hope. Hope grabs a hold of your heart and your mind and your plans and your purposes and your thinking and your dreaming and your scheming and you're just wondering how it can get even betterer than it is already. Because you know it's going to get betterer and betterer. And you're looking to see the green shoots of what God is doing. You're looking to see the advance of the kingdom because you want to put shoulder to the wheel You want to be a reinforcement because you're in the army of the king. You want to see the kingdom advance and expand. And where you see it advancing and expanding, you put shoulder to it so it can go even quicker. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. So you want to be a part of what he's doing. You're so captured by this thing of hope. You live differently from the people who are in the pit of hopelessness. Hmm? Can I have a few extra minutes? Is it okay? How about we go to Jeremiah chapter 29? And I know you know this verse because it's on your fridge. Okay? Jeremiah 29. It says, I know the plans I have for you. Right? This, uh, let, let's jump there because this is uh, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Everyone say, rah, rah. Everybody like that one? Yeah? Good for your fridge? Yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we all want this one. Okay, what's the context? Come on, when did Jeremiah give them this strong, powerful word? It was when they were in deep, terrible, international upheaval. Nations were at war with nations. Weapons of mass destruction everywhere. Political conniving and stuff going on. God's people divided as to what they should or shouldn't do. Should I go or should I stay? Prophets, whole bunch of them, false. Speaking and doing what they wanted to do. Not listening to the voice of the Lord. Not seeing God's big picture. Not understanding what He was doing. And the people like... Sheep without a shepherd, just like, whoa, what's going on? Confusion, hardship, difficulty. These are the people who had been walking in the blessings of Abram. I will bless you and your children's children. They were walking. These people were economic powerhouses. They were amazing entrepreneurs, and they lost everything. They lost their land, they lost their businesses, they lost their possessions, they lost the place of worship. Jerusalem was attacked, destroyed. Temple gone. It was like a place 
that should have been God's name and like his fame and protect us. And it's like, what is going on? Everything's upended. And into this whole thing, they've been carried off. And they've now been put into a very different place and a very different economic reality. Because now they were prisoners of war. They've been taken into captivity. They've been marched thousands of kilometers away to Babylon. And they're living there in small quarters, whatever. And the Lord prophesies into the place where everything is shed. It's not just electricity is shed. It's like everything is shed. And he prophesies into that. And he says to them in verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Come on, how long does it take for a garden to produce? It takes a little bit of time. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters, your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, they do not decrease. It's kind of, whoa. Immediately when we face economic hardship, difficulty, crisis, the tendency of humanity is like pull back, shrink. So when we're facing all of these economic cycles, and I'm telling you, the signs are there. We're facing the, the biggest one we've ever seen. And the tendency in the natural is pull back and conserve. And the Lord says, don't decrease. Get on the front foot, increase. I'm making you the head, not the tail. So he's positioning us for that increase because we're seeing things differently. If you're hopeless, you pull back and you're kind of like, I can't have any more kids because I won't have enough money to educate them or provide for them or whatever it might be. Yeah? Oh, look at the state of education. Look at this, look at that. And you decrease and you pull back and you shrink. And you shrink in your mind. Your vision gets smaller. And your faith levels get smaller. What can I trust the Lord for? Just survival. Instead of trusting the Lord to thrive. Now it's just like, can I hang on? So everything decreases. And the word of the Lord says, no, come in the opposite spirit. Also, verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Some of you think you're here in Joyburg and you're in exile. It's like, no, no, you didn't. No, no. Pray that Joyburg prospers. Because if Joyburg prospers, you too will prosper. Come on, I'm praying for water supply. Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm praying for the sewerage works. We don't want this place to become the big stink. Pray for electricity. Pray for roads. Pray for development. Pray for new businesses. Yeah? Pray for entrepreneurs. Pray for innovations. Pray that this city, like, it's a world-class city. Come on. That's a prophetic statement. It comes on your monthly statement. (laughs) Janusburg, a world-class city. Okay? 
What are you going to do with that? Who do they think they are? Or, oh my goodness, God has put people in there. Either that or it was a donkey. And God can speak through a donkey. Either way, it doesn't matter. But there's somebody who's declaring the purposes of God over our city. Johannesburg, a world-class African city. Say yes to that. Come on. Now, we do not yet see it, but it's a prophetic declaration. Come on. Get that statement. I agree. This is going to be a world-class city where everything works. All my queries are answered. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. I'll get back to that prophetic training thing we were doing. Because this is a massive issue when you cause people to give prophetic words that they shouldn't give. Ooh, they're prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, the boys and girls there, being carried off into exile, they couldn't see that actually what God was doing was causing them to be catapulted and get ahead. Like... They couldn't see the bigger picture. We look back now, we can see the bigger picture. We can see that actually they went for 70 years of holiday. Right? Because they hadn't, in the seventh year, let the land lie fallow. The sabbatical year. So now they pull together all the years that they should have 390 years, whatever the cycle that they should have, it now gets all condensed into these 70 years. And while they're taking 70 years of holiday back to back, he's causing favor to rest upon them, and nations that otherwise would have come and attacked them, you know, the ites, tites, and kites couldn't get anywhere near them because they had all the the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. The Babylonians, the big fighting force, sorting out all these other nations. Nobody was bothering Israel. And then, eventually, because of the way in which the Babylonians sorted out the temple and weren't doing God's people much good, the Lord then raised up the Medes and the Persians. To give the Babylonians snort club, South African version of the Bible. And then Darius is having one of these sleepless nights, nothing good on Netflix. So he calls for the scroll, bring out the tablets, and uh, scrolls down. And they say, hey, you're supposed to, the Lord will raise up. Uh, it was Cyrus. The Lord will raise up a deliverer who will let my people go. It's kind of like, 
this was written how many hundred years ago? And it's me. It's like, <laughs> he got really excited, looking to hand off his autograph everywhere, because he was now famous. And he says, let's send these people, send them back with gold, with silver, whatever articles and materials they need, let them go back and build. And these people go back with everything they need. Everything that was lost was restored. And then the land, which had had 70 years to rest, now was flourishing. They went into boom times. They didn't go backwards. They actually went forwards. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. He's talking about these people and the restoration. The temple was even more glorious than the first temple. It wasn't just restored, it was increased. If you just take a snapshot when you're in Babylon and you're getting this word, it's like, how can this be? But the Lord says, I've got bigger plans to give you hope and a future. And it's a really good future. You can take this one to the bank. Literally. It's amazing. He says, and then you seek me, you'll find me. Talks about revival. Restoration, revival. So, as we bring this to a close, God is taking us in 2023 out of a prison of fear and hopelessness. And He's freeing us to put us in a strong position, the stronghold of hope we look at our family with hope we look at our health with hope we look at our finances with hope we look at our government with hope we look at our city with just immense love compassion hope God's not finished with us Would you stand? Thank you for the extra time. Really appreciate that. But can we just, as we end off our time here together, can we just use Romans chapter 15, verse 13, as a joint declaration together of what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord. And together let's say, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you, God of hope. You are the God of hope. You are the source, the fountain, the supplier of the resource of hope. So we come to you that you would fill us with hope. Holy Spirit, would you come 
and bring freedom to hearts and minds? Would you break off the chains of hopelessness and would you bring us into a place of freedom, of being in overflowing hope? We've got more than enough hope for ourselves and for our work colleagues, for our neighbor, for our family. Thank you that you do bring us into a place of believing that the best is yet to come. That you have got good things in store for your people. And so as we go from this place, may we experience your peace, your love, your joy, your protection, and your provision. In the name that is above all names, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Bless you, guys.